This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. J.J. Watt in the backfield. J.J. Watt, baby. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. Well, in honor of the other football in the World Cup that's going on right now, any one of yous takes a dig at me, I'm just going to immediately hit the floor here. I'm going to really embellish. I'm going to accentuate it. Uh, dare Not I, a surprise. Dare I say I'm going to flop. You know, what was a surprise? Darren Urban, basketball guy. Danny Sarek over there, a purveyor of all sports. Yours truly, Paul A. Podcast is filled in for Ron Wolfley this week. I bring up Jay Williams because he came on and took a shot at all the flopping in soccer. Jay Will, the former point guard extraordinaire duke in the nba i'm like now wait a minute jay are you telling me what in the sam name of manu ginobili right and 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 who else would be some of the all-time great floppers in nba history here's here's lebron james even in this day chris paul has a rep as being a flopper if you want to keep it local as as watching as somebody who watches both sports i will say this there is absolutely lots of flopping in the nba but the flopping is to like get the foul and then, I mean, nobody's acting like they're hurt. They just go down like they took a foul. In soccer, much of the time, not only do they go down to draw the foul, but apparently there's a line of invisible snipers around the field. <laughs> and uh, there was there was a yeah. play in the uh, uh, Iran-U.S. game, I hope I pronounced Iran correctly, um, where one of the uh, Iranian players went down and I'm like, oh, man, that, that's not good. And then they showed the replay. I'm like, okay, he barely got tripped, and he's writhing around like he just – his entire leg came apart at the seams. And so It is true. I mean, you watch some of these soccer matches, and you're like, okay, oh, my goodness, call the ambulance, get the stretcher out there, and then the guy pops up. The guy just pops up and plays another 45 minutes of full breakneck soccer. Yeah, no, it's it's – probably the least enjoyable part to watch the game but still exciting nonetheless yes united states moments ago there was a bunch of shouting around the hallway said cards oh, hq left and 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 i said to myself well hopefully that means uh they brought home the victory because there was a one nothing lead late what do you mean who's left you're right okay so let's get an update here uh let's take attendance three of us are here uh as for the locker room not so much they're gone for the rest of the week which I don't know how the mailbags look in these days, Darren. I know there was some dismay among the media members who are very much looking forward to their bye weekend, but when they learned that the Cardinals players will be off basically Tuesday through Sunday, but that is in keeping with past bye week schedules, is it not? Yeah, I mean, if you go back, I mean, you can you can argue, and I know there are people that want to argue it, uh, you can argue over whether it's the right thing or not, but the schedule that the Cardinals are on this week is the same schedule they've had since Cliff Kingsbury basically showed up, which was basically give the the uh, the players the entire week and uh, and kind of come back. I mean, the coaches are going to do a little bit extra, uh, but yeah, the the Cardinals will be off for the balance of the week. They're first of all, they're mandated. All they're getting extra off. I mean, you can make a lot of arguments here because. They'd played Sunday. Normally, they'd be here Monday. They would have had an off day Tuesday, and then they'd be back Wednesday, right? So Thursday and Friday, they're mandated Thursday and Friday and the weekend off of a bye weekend. That's CBA mandated. Okay. So the, the only days they could have been here that they're not are Tuesday, Wednesday. Gotcha. And so it's only two days, uh, and you can make the argument after playing that they might have had Tuesday off anyway. So... And let me just say this, coming off a short week in the international travel, and all of us were on that trip, and some folks brought home a version of the flu or some sort of malady. Yours truly was one of them. And so you know, I, there's a lot of players and coaches who just need to recover. 
physically more than ever yeah. coming off that sort of road trip. Well, and we Where are, you were up all night basically yeah. getting back from Monday Night Football. And we all know, Danny, how beat up this team is and everything. Look, I, we can we can argue it and everything like that. I, I don't think it's going to. Ha- I don't think it has a giant influence one way or the other. To be honest, at this point, I I agree. I, do, I don't know what having that extra day or two would really. The, the whole point of this week is to rejuvenate and get healthy, and the Cardinals are not healthy. Um, so I would. I don't have a problem with them having that extra day or two to kind of recover. And it's not. They they even have an extra day when they come back. It's Monday Night Football against the Patriots. They're not coming back for a Sunday game. Yeah, that's true. It's yep. the la- for, it's right. the latest buy this team's ever had. Yep. They inter- instituted the buy in the NFL in 1990. The previous latest buy the Cardinals have had was December 1st. And uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, December 1st. This will be dis- technically a December 4th buy. So it's it's. They've they've grinded for a long time. Again, the results aren't there, and and we're not. Make no mistake, we're not sitting here trying to excuse uh, necessarily the the results of what's happened so far. But I, I don't I, I don't buy into it. And people that have followed me for a long time know I, I just don't buy into the if the guys if they're playing poorly they have to be quote unquote doing football twenty four seven. I don't. That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, the cost-benefit ratio, what is the benefit of another light walkthrough type practice? And that's practice? all it would be, yeah. So, it, it, yeah. look, um, besides, if you had come out against the Chargers and mailed it in, okay, I could maybe see that. Yeah. That's not the case. They came out, they played hard. The physicality was there. The energy, the intensity was there from the get-go. I mean, I haven't seen a first half like that of a running back getting to the second level with such frequency and ease in a long time. James Conner got loose. Four of his first five carries were 18, 8, 8, and 6. I mean, he was just popping those, and Cardinals are coming off the line, and they're playing with physicality on both sides of the ball. Obviously didn't end the way they wanted it to, but it wasn't from a lack of effort. And it wasn't because, okay, the head coach has to be punitive to remind everyone you're getting paid a lot of money to play ball till the very end, win or lose, whether you're in the playoff race or not. To start the game, the Cardinals looked like a different team. The first pat, the first play was first down to Hollywood Brown. Second play, first down, James Conner run. Third play was the fumble, but the Cardinals came back on that next possession and they, they scored. They weren't hung up on it. They had a 10-0 lead. Kyler Murray looked quick and decisive and it it didn't feel like the same Cardinals team offensively, at least, to start a game that we have seen for most of the year. And I think that's what's frustrating is that despite the injuries, this team still has the talent. They still have the capability to go out and play well and win games. The offense didn't have a single punt in the first half. And then if you include the last possession, the last 15 seconds, three of their four final possessions were three and out. And that's just that, that's not acceptable. You have to be able to, to run the clock and you have to be able to keep your offense out on the field. And I agree with you. I think the effort was there. And James Conner even said it post game in the locker room the execution just wasn't. And then we get back to the question why? Why not? Is it anything you can self scout? Is it anything realistically you can address during the bye week and remedy? I, I go back to what Kelvin Beecham said right after the game. I don't know if you guys heard it, but the post game radio QA. Kelvin Beecham was excellent. He was. In a loss, he was very insightful. He was forthcoming. He was blunt. And towards the end of the interview, he said, you know what? That's what happens. And he mentioned a whole number of things that were factors in the loss. And he said then at the very end, when you're not finishing a game and you're playing some stupid football, and then I followed up. I said, stupid football? You didn't like the football IQ? And he said, no. I said, how so? And then he sort of kept it generic from there. He didn't really identify or answer. So I guess... In the absence of an answer there, I ask the two of you, what could have been better in terms of football IQ? And I'll get it started because I had this conversation with Craig Greeley, and we said, well, look, there are a lot of different things. He mentioned a lot of pressure on second down, but he also mentioned the Cardinals made the adjustment because that was sort of an MO, a game plan of the Chargers. They were bringing it on second down for whatever reason. That's something they identified, and that was a pattern. And But there was a big sack taken by Kyla Murray when the corner blitz came in on that second down, and that was very costly, obviously. You're talking about the end of the game. Very end of the game. So is that something they should have picked up at that point? Should they have known it was coming? I would think, you know, and it's funny, I I watched the last two possessions. I didn't watch, obviously they had the three three three-and-outs before the the Chargers took the lead in the fourth quarter. I didn't watch the first of those, but I watched the last two. Um, The first three and out was the one that featured the uh, DeAndre Hopkins amazing four yard catch oh. and then the third down pass to Trey McBride who 
in real time, a lot of people wanted to kind of put it on the rookie, and you should have caught that. But I watched the replay. I don't, I don't think the defender was in a good place. I don't know if Trey McBride should have been able to box him out better, but I thought the defender just made a great play. I don't know anybody who's making that catch because it was it almost got to McBride. The guy's hands was in the perfect place. He just broke it up. Sometimes the other guy makes a play. They punted. Then, then came that last thing. They ran it into the line, so they put themselves in a thing. And then, of course, the big play was, like you said, the blitz. Now I'm watching the blitz. I, I don't, I don't know how you're supposed, uh, what the the keys are. But I felt like when I watched that, again, sometimes the other guys make a play, and that timing. And I don't know who, what player it was, number forty-three. I don't know. I think it was Davis. I don't. I don't know if you can time that any better. He was off the line of scrimmage. They looked like they were going to press. He looked like he was going to press the receiver right there, and he did it in such a way that James Conner, who flared out up the middle, I'm guessing would have been the one who would have had to read that a blitz was coming and stay home. But he popped out, and then there's nobody to to pick that up. Now, I don't know if it's James Conner's issue, but I also know, again, I felt like that thing was timed to perfection, in my opinion, in terms of picking it up. I, I don't know if there would have been much else to do. And I like the idea that Kyler, in that situation, is as horrible as the sack was, you don't run around and possibly get a safety. You don't throw some crazy pass just to get it out of there and potentially turn it over. I'm I, I Like think, happened in the Rams playoff I game. I think he made the smart play, in my opinion. I think... Obviously, you know, the the lack of execution falls on the Cardinals, but I do think there were a couple plays like that with the Cardinals. And I think about that fourth and one, the fourth and inches, where Kyler Murray got stuffed on third down. Yeah. And then he ended up throwing it to Hop. And basically, you know, it it was kind of what went around post game at the podium when Kyler Murray said, you know, pretty much we were we were screwed schematically on that. And I don't necessarily know if that was it seemed like the Chargers defense played it really well and I don't know if that was a a hop that was supposed to pick up a block for Trey or what it was but basically you weren't going to get the ball to James Conner because of how they were defending it for that run and you could even tell watching it happen live Kyler was just telling hop like just go I'm gonna throw it to you and then he underthrew it did you see the video that I did breakdown on so uh, I I, forgive me I forget which pro football focus guy did it but he broke down uh his first name is Brad I'm I'm blanking on his last name but um I ended up quote tweeting it out um i thought he had a good breakdown and and i'm glad you brought that up because there's a couple things i want to address there one being in the room and i think most people have but not everybody being in the room when kyler made that comment man there were a lot of national people who took that comment out of context completely and made it sound like he was saying cliff's schemes is what f them and that's not what he was saying. He was talking about that very specific play, and he was saying schematically what the Chargers did messed up that play. He was not blaming the play call. And in fact, when you watch that breakdown, and it, and this was another one of those timing things. I'm like, I think they read it right. They did everything perfect. You're right. They they played. If he had given it to Connor, Connor's absolutely getting stuffed. So he's not getting the ball in that on that play call. So Connor's not going anywhere. The next play was supposed to be a flare to McBride, and they they read it perfectly. And if you throw it to McBride, he's getting tackled short of the sticks. The problem is, how I saw it, was those were your two options, and I don't know if there were further options. Like Hollywood Brown was out there, and knowing that it was either going to be a handoff to Connor or this quick thing. I, I don't know if Hollywood ever did anything. So he's not even a real mm-hmm. option. And when Hopkins first started going out, he clearly wasn't expecting the ball. So that was kind of a fire drill. And I still think if Kyler, which is tough given the circumstances, if Kyler gets it out there further, I think that's a catch. He just, to me, he threw it short because he was falling backwards. But I also understand, like, okay, it, it became a fire drill. Um, but I do want to, again, I want to go back, and, and again, I don't want to be Mr. Defendo of, of everything Cardinals against the criticism, but this idea that Kyler came out in the press conference and said, schematically, uh, we were effed, and that meaning Cliff schemes, that's absolutely not what he was saying. I even Yeah, I even saw with the quote, they were taking out certain words, so it made it seem like, oh, schematically, we are, yes. as opposed to yes. we were. There was in that, a graphic in that, like that. In that specific I was disappointed. Scenario. There was an ESPN podcast of some very popular 
younger podcasters that do NFL stuff that that's where they ran with it. And I was disappointed in and how they took that because you come taking taking it that far out of context and I, was yeah. here's the thing i think that's the easy it's easy to misconstrue things i think it's very easy when you're looking on the outside in and you're trying to find something to fuel the fire which has been a constant discussion between quote unquote tension yes. between the quarterback and the head coach yes. and the reports that when Kyler was out for two weeks that him and Cliff Kingsbury were really working on tension and making sure they were on the right page and yeah. then Kyler says there wasn't tension i just think People, for whatever reason, with Kyler Murray as opposed to pretty much any other franchise quarterback, it seems they are constantly looking for something to tear him down and not just on the field, but as a leader or as a person or whatever that might be or his relationship with his head coach. And this to me just seemed like the low hanging fruit of, oh, here's Kyler Murray calling out his head coach like there's that tension again. I I do think that you you say it's easy to lose the kind. I, I think it's also very easy to ignore making the effort to find the context because there's no repercussions uh, to go for that low-hanging fruit because, look, nobody's going to care what we're saying. We're in the building. I, I, I shouldn't say nobody cares, but I... Our listeners care. Thank you for listening. I, I hope so. Um, but, I mean, again, the context does mean something. And, and again, we've talked about this a million hey, times, Paul. I mean, it, there's it, reasons to criticize yeah. Kyler Murray. That oh, wasn't yeah. one yes. of them. And that's helpful, actually, because I was not in that room. Oh, that's true. So, yeah, it does matter. And hopefully that's helpful for everybody to try and get an understanding. Um, to me, if you want to zoom out on that play, it's James Conner is averaging six yards a carry at well, that point. that's a different – And it's fourth and inches. Yes. That, 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 to me, is the criticism and or what's going on with Kyler and the deep ball or the deep shots and the accuracy. Wow. It's just missing this year. Yes. You saw it twice down the sidelines to Hollywood Brown, not even close. We've yes. seen it really consistently all year. It's weird, isn't it? Very strange, and um, and and you know it's something you know that I actually had down to ask Cliff Kingsbury after the game, but he had places to be, and there were only so many questions I could ask. But I mean, at some point, it needs to be asked and, and addressed. And I'd be very curious: is it mechanics? Is it a lack of chemistry? So that that shouldn't make sense. I mean, he has great chemistry with Hollywood Brown and DeAndre Hopkins and all other instances. So you know, what is it exactly? It's it's funny, and and now I'm going. These aren't parallel situations, but you're making me think of, uh, I don't know if you remember back in the day, Paul, because we're old. The uh, Cardinals go to the Super Bowl in 2008, 2009. They start one and two. And the third loss was a home Sunday night football loss to the Colts. And they just got their doors blown off by Peyton Manning. And after the game, um, a lot of the talk was how Kurt Warner was not throwing the ball deep. And I think he had some arm issues at that point. It, in in hindsight, massive hindsight, and especially seeing what happened to Peyton Manning and maybe what's happening to Russell Wilson, I start wondering. I, I think Kurt Warner was going to retire that year anyways because of everything, but I start wondering about where his arm strength started to go, and maybe he started seeing like, okay, I better get out while the getting's good, perhaps. Now, obviously, that's not where Kyler Murray is, but I also remember that Kyler had some arm issues in training camp and – you, I don't think anything's lingering. Like the the throw, the one that I'm really remembering was the one right down the sideline. There wasn't a lot of room, um, but it was well out of bounds. Yep. Like there was no chance. I mean, he got it down there easily. It just there's no accurate part to it to, to even give Hollywood a chance for it. And that's, you know, you start looking like okay, they've got one 40 yard play this year. It was a catch and run by Greg Dortch. Um, I can't think. I mean, there, there's been very, very few 30-yard in-the-air passes. I mean, only a couple I can think of. And, and I, This is just me off the top of my head, but if you go through and break down his interceptions this year, I think every single one has been an underthrow. Yeah. The one against, the one against uh, Hollywood Brown's final game, Game 6 at Seattle, was an underthrow against Tariq Woolen. Wasn't there one at home where Hollywood was double-teamed right in the middle? Yeah, I think yeah. so. That's right. Was that when the he, one where he got hit? No, that was hit. Robbie Anderson. The deep one against the Saints? It might have been yeah. the Saints. So, I honestly, if you go – and he doesn't have a ton of interceptions. No. But That's if why you go we can through easily them, recall them. Yes. And so – but at the same time, is a big reason why they don't have a ton of chunk plays through the air because he's apprehensive or hesitant to go downfield. Maybe, Maybe he doesn't have confidence in that deep shot like he used to because – 
I remember vividly talking in the offseason over the last two or three years that all the metrics, the analytics said he was the most accurate yes. quarterback in the NFL on chunk throws and deep balls. Yep. So that has been striking almost all year long. It just hasn't been there as part of his game. Is it too comfortable? Too much off his back foot? Is it mechanics? Who knows? Um, but if you want to speak of Hollywood Brown and D-Hop, here's the other thing that comes back to that fourth quarter. And if you want to talk about quote-unquote stupid football – uh, Trey McBride had two targets. Hollywood Brown and D-Hop combined had one Yeah, well, in the fourth quarter. So obviously the defense is making an adjustment, but they shouldn't be able to cover both of those guys and prevent well, them from getting targeted when the game's on the line. And one of the – you said Brown had one target? Combined they had, they had combined they had one target. You know what it was? It was D-Hop saving the interception with okay. a stab, with a one-handed stab. I'm fairly certain at the end of the – touchdown drive brown did get targeted because there's a picture of it on the website because i remember thinking to myself kyler what are you doing throwing into eight guys and somehow hollywood brown ended up with a catch i feel like that was at the very beginning of the fourth quarter now that said you it is strange that I mean, even though the the crazy catch by DeAndre. By the way, that play was the last play of the third quarter. Okay, last right play before of the, third the fourth quarter. quarter. Okay, so it's a good point though. Um, the the crazy catch by Hopkins was inaccurate. Like, yes, it needed to be a crazy catch. Now, Kyler was under pressure there, but if Hop doesn't get his hand there, that's going directly to a Charger. It looked like. Yeah. So, so honestly, and once again, this is us thinking out loud, if there are priorities, you're making your list and checking it twice this holiday season during the bye week, and you're going to self-scout and try and self-improve, and you have the extra day going into the next game, which is Monday night, week 14, against the Patriots, then I, I wonder if a return to the basics, a return to the fundamentals and the mechanics for Kyla Murray. I wonder if that's somewhere in the works. If indeed, for example, let's say he's going home for some mental health, uh, you know, he does a lot of working out in this North Dallas area where he's worked out quite a bit the last couple of off seasons and maybe he gets out there, heck, with his dad, who's a former quarterback, and they try and get back to some of the basics of those mechanics. I would like to think that the fact that we have taken note of this for so many weeks with the deep ball that Kyler Murray has as well. I, I, I would imagine that this has been a conversation in the quarterback's room or with the offense as a whole, talking with his receivers, whatever that might be. It has been really interesting. The accuracy just overall has not been there. And not only that, I just feel like the confidence for this team to pull out a miraculous win, which is surprising because they obviously did that in Vegas, but that's really been it. And I was standing on the field. I go down the last couple minutes of the game. I was actually walking down the tunnel when Hop made that one-handed catch. Um, and as soon as the Chargers scored, I remember thinking – this time last year, and I was, I was specifically thinking about Green Bay, when the Cardinals were behind and they didn't have time, at least for me, I still had faith that the Cardinals could find a way to at least put themselves in field goal position, but, but go for the touchdown and at least tie the game or, or take the lead at the end, that Murray magic. And standing there on the field, 15 seconds left against the Chargers, you just didn't feel that. It I, just feels different. I got to be honest. I agree with you about the Green Bay thing uh, and the circumstances at that point. Um, but this this iteration of the Cardinals, I'm talking about the Cliff-Kyler era, you, you've never really gotten a big sense of come from behinds at the end. Usually you feel the best when they're playing from ahead. And the Raiders game happened to be one of those crazy endings, and I, I thought maybe it would change some things. But but again, when you start talking about finishing, they didn't even need a score at the end of this game. All they needed was a couple of first downs, and that probably would have put the Chargers out of it. And they just they went nowhere, and it was stunning to me, to be honest. They had the trio of three and out, 16 total yards, and then the two plays at the very end. So that's the way it ended. And what does that mean going forward? I mean, you, you had a very productive offense at times until then. You know, we were talking about, okay, what do you do during the bye week? Well, you're going to self-scout. What does that mean? And, and to me, Calvisi Consulting, okay, uh, what do you see Kyle Shanahan do very well? Sean McVay, to some degree, they break tendencies. Drew Stanton talks a lot about that in, in our pregame show, about those really good offenses and the offensive masterminds 
They get in when they can, and they just try and break tendencies. So when you had that second down blitz that resulted in that key sack and loss on that second-to-last possession, well, that was a pattern during the game. Could you break a tendency? Is How, how do you respond to that, for example? So, um, you know, James Conner was so successful and then was bottled up at the end. You know, do you need to break tendency just for the sake of doing something different? Because I, I would say just the eyeball test, if there's one indictment of the offense, at times it appears too predictable. And it appears too easy for maybe a defense to scheme and, and match up. That was a topic last season. How last season ended, was yep. it not? Adjust to the adjustment. Remember we talked about that last December. And had opposing defenses figure things out. Vance Joseph, who I firmly believe every Thursday when he meets the media, he talks big picture football. And I think he's sending veiled messages to the locker room. Whether he's talking about effort and he means it intended for different things and it was a while Wait, back I thought the players and coaches never looked in the media so what would be the point of that <laughs> yeah they're right no one no one no one ever actually checks what's being said uh and 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 did he not say he said a couple of different things and I'll just I'll just throw it out there about a month ago he mentioned going into this whole stretch of NFC West opponents how imperative it is for any team to build from the inside out offensive line defensive line where have the Cardinals been thin this year in the trenches that may or may not have been a message that's just me reading into it uh and then the other thing he threw out there was that every single scheme both sides of the ball after four week period or so at least halfway through a season other teams have figured it out and you have to evolve it's a must it's not just okay if needed no it's needed and so is that happening is that a common denominator over the last three years the end of the last two years and at times throughout this year and it's not an excuse but I'm just curious how much more difficult that is when you have eight starting offensive line combinations when you've got receivers in and out in in a hard knocks episode Kyler Murray described it as a revolving door people constantly coming in and going when it comes to injuries and that's not to excuse all of that because if you have depth the point of having that depth is to have that next man up mentality and to have trust and faith in those players that are stepping up and that they understand the playbook well enough to come in and and play to the best of their ability but I wonder how much that's hindered you know being able to adjust is the fact that they haven't had a lot of consistency there well and that's the thing is ultimately when you have injuries it's not so much that you can't adjust or break your tendencies but there is a feeling especially when you're bringing guys that haven't played before or haven't been on the roster all season or for training camp, there is a tendency to, I mean, how many times have we talked about, okay, they want to make things a little bit more simple. Well, when you start making things more simple, it's harder to break tendencies because there's there's less available. Well, and Vance Joseph made that point. I remember last year, you got to keep it simple for a Zayvon Collins or what have you who's a rookie, but you can only make it so simple to where it becomes way too easy for an opposing experienced quarterback to carve you up. So, but I'll give you another example. I was talking to an, uh, one of the current starting interior offensive linemen last week, and he mentioned when this sort of current iteration of the interior line, which keeps changing, it's the eighth different offensive line combination in this last game against the Chargers because you had Max Garcia starting at right guard, mentioned, you know what, when we first started this current group, we were literally stepping on each other's feet. Snap the ball, stepping on each other's feet. That's all it takes. That's all it takes is if oh, oh, what, I didn't get out of the gates quite as quick as I need to, and now all of a sudden this three technique has the edge on me. He's got the leverage on me because I didn't get to the spot. I didn't beat him to the spot because I ran into the guy next to me. So when you hear all this stuff and you think it's a cliche, oh, the cohesion and the chemistry and the offensive line, no, it's a real thing because it, it can actually look like that in practice when you're putting a bunch of new names and faces and bodies out there and they're trying to mesh together. It's funny that you're calling it when a lot of times when we're talking about sports and cohesion and chemistry we're literally talking about some intangible that's hard to see but when you start talking about right chemistry in terms of not stepping on yes. each other's feet that's a very tangible thing. Big deal. In fact I did what I did best and I asked the dumb question it was in between the first and second quarter on the sideline I asked someone who would know I said is this a different run scheme? With Kugler gone? With Kugler gone and Steve Hyden in. Um, and there's Steve Hyden standing right next to Cliff Kingsbury. And there's Steve Hyden running the offensive line. And I said, is this a different run scheme? And this uh, person in the know on the sideline scoffed. 
and said, "Are you? You think we can't put that in at this no. point with all new offensive well, linemen? Can't do that." So just stop with your questions. The, first of all, let's make this very clear. Like we did against the Rams when everybody was talking about Colt McCoy played really well and they they blitzed the Rams and okay, who were you playing? The Chargers are an awful run defense. <laughs> awful. Historically like, bad. They they weren't even the worst in the league coming into the game. Well, it was the yards per carry they're giving up was the worst okay. since the merger. Got it. Five point four six. And they had given up what, hundred fifty seven at least hundred and fifty seven yards rushing in each of the games. So four straight, four games. straight games. So to give up a hundred to get 181 yards rushing, very good for the Cardinals. Yep. Not taking anything away from James Conner or what they did on the ground, but that wasn't the 49ers you were playing, you know. And it you're not getting 181 yards rushing against the Patriots, I'm guessing, which is your next game. No, I I mean, I, I just couldn't believe the ease with which James Conner was getting to the second level. I, well, I, honestly, wasn't it weird? Like at the beginning of the game, like he kept. First of all, James Conner does bounce outside. I'm not sure if that's he should do it as much as he does, given his skill set at this point. But he was bouncing outside, and there was nobody there. Now I don't know if the Chargers were always trying to like yeah. we got to get extra guys in the box because otherwise they'll kill us right up the middle. But he was bouncing outside and getting so many yards. Yeah. It was. It was looked like he was doing it with ease. His first hundred plus yard rushing game as a Cardinal, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, it is considering I, how many like touchdowns yeah. he had last year. I think I checked that twice on the sideline. We were talking about it with Jim Alejandro up in the booth. I'm like, what is that real? Are you serious? And I'm sitting there. I'm checking it, and I'm like, okay, I guess so. I, I knew he hadn't had a hundred yard game. The, the thing the thing that was tough was he had 54 yards at the end of the first quarter, and he finished with 120. Not bad, but. You yeah. thought he was going to have a bigger game yeah. than that, the way it was going. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, that Chargers defense early just looked unsound. It yes. was so bad. And you know what? Good Gu- word, unsound. Guess what? The Patriots are the utter opposite of that. The Patriots Super sound? agree or disagree, don't have the most talent in the league, not even close. No. But they're not going to beat themselves. They will be in the right place at the right time. Honestly, one of the most regrettable, I'll use the word regrettable losses in the last three, four years, was the COVID year at New England. Yes. You were on that trip. I was on that trip. That You know what that trip was all about? That trip was uh, the two COVID? of us, the two of us and the N95 mask. It was the N95 uh, mask plus the cloth mask over it. Yeah. From the moment you got on the team bus That's to right. the plane, to the buses in New England, to the hotel, I think it was nine plus hours, Darren, we had the N95 mask on. That's right. Until you got to your room all by yourself, and then you could take the mask off. That's how strict the COVID protocols were yes. at the time. But I, what was worse, because it can always get worse, was watching Cam Newton stink up the yard with a yes. passer rating somewhere in the 20s and still engineer a victory. Why? Was... Because the Patriots were sound everywhere else. They got like a special teams touchdown. They weren't a liability on defense. Isaiah and even Simmons got a bad 15-yard yeah, penalty. Yeah, you're right. And so it, that's what scares me about this Patriots game. No one on the roster, none of the names, none of the talent, but it's... Matt Jones, no? They're going to come in, and guess what? If you are playing the, quote, stupid football and or self-inflicted, two phrases we've heard all year, uh, the Patriots will find a way to beat you. And you'll and you be your own worst enemy. Not to sound like a complete downer, too. I know mathematically oh, the Cardinals... I know, here we go. I'm so sorry. At 4-8, and eight, the Cardinals mathematically are not eliminated from playoffs. But it, it pretty much feels that way, um, especially hearing from players in the locker room kind of talking about you have to look in the mirror and figure out how do you want to finish the season. I'm writing that very exact story. Really? No, do you want to quote me right here? I can if I, you know, five, the they have later. five more opportunities. And when you talk about self-inflicting wounds and think of, you know, things like that, Paul, it makes me think of just what the players were echoing of how do you want to finish? And, and even though you might be thinking we're not going to make the playoffs almost what's the point that that's just not the mentality you can have because first of all everybody playing and coaching you are constantly playing and coaching for your job and also I think I've talked about it on this podcast you want to be the type of teammate in that locker room that you would want to sit next to if you're playing with somebody right now and then you sit next to them in that same locker room next year and you think about the fact that think about what Buda Baker was saying a couple weeks ago in Mexico City of not everybody played to the final whistle you weren't giving it your all you want to be playing with teammates and you want to play for each other knowing that they're going to give it their all. So when it comes to self-inflicting wounds and things of that nature and, and still having those details 
regardless of whether or not you're going to make the postseason, I still think it is important to play with that mentality and to still give it your all and try to play the cleanest kind of football that you can. I, there's no question about that. I mean, you, you have to do it that way. You can't just mail it in. No. And and very, I've done this for a long time. That usually doesn't happen a ton. It's It happens a couple times, and, and there might be a player here or there. But there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of guys here who – aren't under contract for next year. So whether you're getting one here or somewhere else, you better not look like you're just mailing it in or you're going to get yeah. Troy Aikman on national television. That next yep. game is Monday Night Football. That's true. No, that's a great point. Uh, and if not Monday Night Football in primetime, it's hard knocks. So you, you might have to own it and wear it maybe on hard knocks. We'll see. Not too many people have looked too bad and so far in, in hard knocks. But you sounded great. We haven't really you seen have, a lot of your face, I, but your I voice and Craig's Between voice. You and Craig Grealu, yeah. you're like the stars yeah. of the show. I mean, seriously, is he getting residuals? Craig Grealu, are you kidding me? I'm you bitter know? they're not using any Cardinals underground, yeah, but whatever. Right. Um, I, I will say this, though. That's a good point about not that many players have long-term security no. on this team. So guess what? If you're not on this team, then other teams will grab your film. And that's your resume. And if they see you going through the motions in late November and December, because that might be where they start, what kind of ball was this player, you know, playing at the very end of the season? And then, yeah, uh, you know, which brings us to a few names out there. You know, Byron Murphy now is a total unknown with a back injury. Who knows? When Vance Joseph says, yeah, you know, a a young guy dealing with a back injury, that's always a little dicey. But if they're going to place left tackle DJ Humphreys on IR with a back, is that not any sort of – Hope that they're yep. not going to do the same with Byron? Good point, I guess. I, I think yep. you're holding out hope with Byron. I think, I mean, I'm not sure exactly where that goes. Maybe Byron fights it a little bit because he wants to, because that's one of the guys that doesn't have a contract right now. DJ Humphreys is under contract. Maybe it's like, hey, we're not going anywhere. Let's just shut him down and be done with it. Plus, sure. we got Josh Jones who's playing pretty good football yeah. right now. Because yeah. even though Humphreys could come back with the final game. Two games. He, two if he, games. If he, if he, Came back as early. Right, as it was before Sunday's game. Yeah. Um, Kingsbury has already ruled him out for yeah, the season. Yeah, he's already ruled him out. So there's that. There's um, just in no particular order, like Zach Allen right now. Zach Allen. Uh, I mean, are we talking about just people that don't have contracts? Next just year? yeah, but I mean, big, big name, integral pieces. Justin Pugh, John, Will Hernandez, Cody Ford, Rashad Coward. We could pretty much go through most of yeah. the offensive line. Kelvin Beecher. Yeah. Um. Max Williams, but I, I think given his injury, we're probably near the end there. Um, the receiving core is pretty solid at this point. On the other side of the ball, uh, I don't know if Hamilton's up. Uh, we talked about Murphy. I think you're set on the back end. Uh, yeah, the two safeties, obviously, JJ big money Watt. deals. J.J. Watt, that's the other one. J.J. Watt's Watt. a big one because he's playing good football right now. Yeah. But he's a guy, and I'm sure we're going to address this as we go forward at some point, too. You know, where it's not just about what you want to do with an older player, it's what he might want to do and and where this franchise stands going forward and how much you're willing to pay him. You talk about receivers, though, real quick. I mean, Tweezy, right? Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson's technically under contract. Oh, but he they're is not, for... But he's under contract for $12 million. And Hollywood? They're not going to pay him. Hollywood's got another year, $13 million. I don't remember if Tweezy's got another year. I think he might have another year, but I'm not 100% oh, really? sure. Okay. I, I think, and, and Tweezy's one of those guys that I could, Antoine Wesley, I, I think he's one of those guys that, especially if Cliff's here, that they're going to try and keep around. But, mm-hmm. but we'll see what happens. Here's one, Colt McCoy. He signed a he signed a multi-year deal, didn't he? Yeah. Was it, I, thought I thought it was thought he, one. Thought he was was it y- just one? Yeah, it was maybe. in year two of a two-year deal, no? No, no, no. He was a free agent going into this year. I okay. thought it was one year. All right. Maybe. We'll look that up. Uh, so there you go. I mean, so there's those questions that hang out. See, there. dear listener, this is what happens. We 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 move off course, and then we didn't do the research to find out exactly what. We're I'll take talk the blame about. for this one. Um, and I'm going to transition to you know a couple of guys who are under contract, but what exactly is their immediate future for different reasons? Whether it's a Trey McBride or an Isaiah Simmons. We saw Isaiah Simmons. I tell you this much. Here's a little sideline snapshot for you. The last guy off the bench was number nine, and he was very dejected. He was very downbeat as the way that game ended, how he was in coverage on both the Austin Eckler touchdown and then the two-point conversion to win it both times, at least based on the replay from what I could tell. He had his eyes in the backfield. 
Now, it was interesting to hear um, Kyle Vandenbosch on the Red Sea Report this week give Isaiah Simmons a little break on that and saying those were very tough schemes and you know he did the best he could uh, in that situation, but he took it hard. There, there's no doubt. He was at the end uh, of the bench all by himself when everyone else was out at midfield shaking hands and work, walking towards the tunnel. What do you have there, Darren? I'm just looking at the salary cap for next year, and uh, Colt McCoy is indeed under contract next year with a salary yeah. cap number of uh, $5 million. And fortunately for them, uh, Kyler Murray's cap number next year is only $16 million before it jumps to all get out. The, the number that jumps out at you for next year's cap is hop, th- hop and 30-plus million. Mm. So do you, do you do something with that? I mean, they're, they, they've only got 32 guys under contract for next year. Uh, and they do have some dead money that they're going to have to that they, they would have. A, uh, I don't think AJ Green's under contract, so that must be dead money. Um, and JJ Watts got seven million in dead money. Hmm. So, yeah. but going back to what you're saying, yeah, you know, it is. It's interesting to see. I mean, that was a rough game for, for both nine. guys, Trey McBride yeah. at times, and, and Isaiah Simmons and. You know, it just it just comes back to that conundrum that they faced with the young linebackers, and I include Isaiah Simmons as that, even though technically he's in the safety room and that's his position group, but the way he's deployed quite a bit. And it just comes back to can the coaches trust you, period. That's what it comes down to. And so you've seen it at times. The offenses that target an Isaiah Simmons in coverage and it's been effective. The Niners did it with Christian McCaffrey, also against Zayvon Collins. And how many times Vance Joseph mentioned that? You know, a lot of these running backs out of the backfield. Guess what? You can't cover them with a linebacker. So, all right. At that point, is me thinking out loud? Should Abuda Baker or Jalen Thompson be on Austin Eckler with the game on the line? Because hasn't it been proven and seen that although Isaiah Simmons has the speed? And the length, he has all the measurables. Does he quite have the acumen and the expertise in that position to keep his eyes where they're needed? And in both cases, at least based on the TV replay, his eyes were squarely in the backfield when the receiver he's supposed to cover was already out in a pattern and got two or three steps on him. So what do you do about that? Do you have to make a significant change in the way you're executing the defense down the stretch? Uh, obviously, what was interesting is Cliff Kingsbury made mention when asked about Hollywood Brown and T-Hop together for the first time how productive and viable Zach Ertz would have been with those two guys, how the middle of the field was really open, some of that underneath yeah. stuff for a pass-catching tight end. That is supposed to be Trey McBride, a second-round pick with great hands. I mean, everything you see in practice, he has very soft hands. He does not fight the football. So what happens on game day? Because you just haven't seen that natural pass-catching ability go from practice to the game. I agree. I mean, it's been, with both those guys, it's been hard. The Simmons thing is different because, obviously, this is his third year. And rightly or wrongly, there is going to be the comparisons to what happened to Hassan Reddick. And, and whether you need to put him in a different place, I don't know. I mean, when you talk to Isaiah, the difference there to me is that Hassan Reddick was going to do what anybody asked him to do, but you could tell the whole time he'd rather be rushing the passer. When Isaiah Simmons talks, either in public or when you're just talking to him, he's doing what he wants to do. He's doing what he thinks he's best at. It's just he's not executing it, and uh, the coverage stuff was tough. It, It was tough. With McBride, it's not fair to him. Well, I shouldn't say it's not fair. There is no fair unfair at this point. He's in a position right now where he's being asked to be Zach Ertz, and he's not Zach Ertz yet, and he wasn't going to be Zach Ertz yet. And the hope was he was going to have some time to be the second banana with Ertz out there. I think the big reason they drafted him in the first place is because they knew they weren't going to get the Max Williams they had last year back at any point, and they haven't. And so now you're having Trey McBride play 60 snaps, and you're force-feeding a guy who's not ready to be that guy yet, and you you hope he can grow, and it's going to show up on the field. And it's the offensive version of what we were just talking about with Isaiah Simmons or Zayvon Collins last year or whatever. Even MyJ Sanders. like Everybody's like, why isn't MyJ Sanders playing more? Now, he did play 29 snaps, the most he's played all season. But why isn't he playing more? Because the trust thing. Yeah. He, he said it 
After his big game on the road, it was at the Rams where he said consistency. I have to show Vance Joseph consistency, and, and Vance confirmed that that later. And so, you know, coaches get a little skittish if you're not going to be in the right place at the right time, alignment and assignment. So, you know, what, what do you do? What I mean, in a game where you were minus basically all your other viable receiving options, now Robbie Anderson had a nice 17-yard catch, right? Okay. But Woo-hoo. after D-Hop and Hollywood Brown, guess what? There's a huge drop-off. There was no Rondell Moore. There was no Greg Dorch, as expected. You know, I'm curious to see how that thumb injury is going to progress. So you really did need that receiving tight end. Now, Steven Anderson has got a couple of opportunities, and he hasn't reeled it in. Um, and so, yeah, at least avoid in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. There's no doubt. It, it makes it much easier for a defense to scheme against the Cardinals. They don't have to worry about that guy working the seams. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that, especially early in the year. Kyler Murray saying that he didn't realize what type of security blanket a tight end could be until he started playing with Zach Ertz. And I, I agree, there's no fair or unfair in this situation, but you're asking Trey McBride to be somebody that, one, he's not yet, and two, he wasn't expected to be. This this wasn't the role he was expected to be in at this point. Um, so it's it's I don't necessarily see that on him as the the big drop-off, I do think it is quite clear to not have Zach Ertz as that viable option. Now, the chemistry hasn't been there this year quite as much as it was last year when he was traded and came in and immediately had that with Kyler Murray. I'm just kind of at the point where I don't want to say I don't really care, but I I just don't really care about the excuses. Like It just feels like for, for two years, and again, whether this is fair or not, all we've been told is the injuries. And yes, this team has been riddled with injuries and looking at the offensive line and you didn't have hot for six games and then you had Hollywood out. Now Rondell Moore has been out and all these things, but it's just like every every team is dealing with injuries. And, you know, so many other teams have have receiving cores where they don't have a hop or they don't have a Hollywood and they're still finding a way to make it work. Now, is their offensive line look different? Possibly. Do they have that tight end that the Cardinals no longer have with Zach Ertz being hurt? Probably. But but teams are making it work. And so to me, it's just kind of, and, and I don't necessarily mean that as a knock on what Zach Ertz brings to the table or the players that are filling in now. It's just kind of like, I don't. I'll give you an example. I, I never could say something that's probably on PC, so I'm not going to. Go ahead. No, I, I would. <laughs> we won't tell anybody. It just It's funny. I I think of. At the end of the 2000 season, uh, when the Cardinals had fired Vince Tobin midseason and they were terrible, and they ended up with the number two pick overall uh, the following draft, they go to Jacksonville for the next to last game of the year. Um, Jacksonville was a 500 team that year, so not great, but they weren't bad, uh, and they got hot near the end of the season. And the Cardinals go to Jacksonville, and the Jaguars, if I recall correctly, had the ball eight for eight possessions. They scored the first seven of them. And the eighth possession, they got the ball with like eight minutes to go and ran the entire clock out going 55 yards. It was not a pretty game. Wow. In the locker room afterwards, myself and the great Kent Summers walked up to Pat Tillman and talked about the season and everything. And Pat was pissed. It makes sense. And he goes, at some point, he goes, I'm just so sick of it. He goes, at some point, nobody wants to hear about the pain. Just show me the baby. Now, that's incredibly rude, I understand, and probably, you know, against women. So I, but it's obviously it's stuck with me all these times. And, And obviously, what Tillman was saying was a more harsh version of what you were just saying, which is the excuses are what they are. And Pat knew that that team was incredibly undermanned and not very good and he didn't give a crap because even if they were going to lose that game they shouldn't have given up seven scores and never forced a punt was was that the year he said the franchise record for tackles wait for it 224 tackles in a single season or was it 01 it was 01 01 his uh with the, the following year his his last year with the team i think it was his last year with the team and uh although with all due respect to Pat, I hope he takes this the right way. I was looking back. Um, the the statisticians in those days were a little bit more freewheeling with the tackles because the tackle records, 
there is no official tackle records for the NFL. They take what the statisticians do, and they tie. There is nothing official because it's hmm. it's subjective. Okay. I was looking. We're doing a folk tales on the Kwame Lasseter four interception game uh, that got them into the '98 playoffs. Yep, season finale. Against and I was the Chargers. looking at the defensive stats that day, and they had like six guys with at least 10 tackles and they had like 80 some tackles right. as a team and I'm like I see yeah and the opponent ran 62 plays yes yeah okay so yeah, yeah okay fishy fishy Pat yeah. Tillman was a great player yeah I still am not 100% sure yeah. those were all yeah. hey wow that yeah. you gave seven different players an uh, assist on that that's amazing yeah. you know what that is that's teamwork that's FTX accounting that's what Makes that is the dream work baby that's the Bitcoin accounting right there, FTX. Cryptocurrency oh, shoot, I forgot accounting. my bingo card. Yep, there you go, Danny. I had to work it in. No longer is it Enron accounting. It's now FTX and cryptocurrency accounting. So that's that's the if more modern so. day. That's the more modern day. Oh, my goodness. As I try to remember which uh, direction. Oh, here was the status. Sorry, I'm monologuing there. there, but I had a chance to tell a Pat Tillman no. story. So Down the helps. stretch we come here, okay? And, and, and by the way. Uh, I got I got ripped as I should have off the top of the broadcast. Uh, Cardinals and Chargers there in uh, Week 11 was a Week 12, and so I said, you know what? Um, Kyle Vandenbosch is on this broadcast. Bertram Berry on this broadcast. Drew Stanton on this broadcast. All played more than a decade in the NFL. You realize, guys, I played four years for the Chargers, the Leland Chargers. That was my high school in South San Jose, and then I I, I took a beat down when I actually yeah, brought up the alma mater of Pat Tillman, and they said, don't you even dare drop your name anywhere near Pat Tillman in a, in a football field or, or otherwise. So, okay, I wore that. And I move on to the stat I was going to bring up originally. Maybe we can edit that out later. <laughs> nah. I, I'd appreciate that. Um, you realize that going into the Mexico City Monday night game, Kyle Shanahan, career win-loss record as 49ers head coach, was 500. Because it's been either feast or famine. It's been either we're making a run to the NFC Championship game and beyond, or we've got 400 injuries and we just finished a six-win season. And so it's remarkable, at least to me, for all the talent and all the success they supposedly have had, that he, he went over 500. His career coaching record was Niners head coach with that win over the Cardinals in Mexico City. Uh, it's, Whatever that's worth. Even I, the great Kyle Shanahan can't navigate past all those injuries, no, I guess, is the lesson I, I, I would there. agree Sean with that. McVay. The Rams right, look, right now? Right, look at McVay right now. People are like, oh, he shouldn't call plays. That has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Like, McVay's lost the ability to call plays. Come on. Uh, again, I, I and I got mailbag question this week was about, again, the injuries and how do the Cardinals have so many. Look, a lot of teams have a lot of injuries. And a lot of the teams that have a lot of injuries are in trouble, like the Rams. It's yep. not just this team. Yeah. And if the 49ers had not miraculously somehow not gotten rid of Jimmy G, they'd be in a oh, bad place right oh, now. Oh, you are not with kidding. With all due respect to Brock Purdy. Yep. And you know what? I would not be shocked. And I don't really do not expect to say this or see this here in 2022. But as I was watching that second half against the 49ers, I said to myself, if this offensive line holds up and they can keep Jimmy G clean the rest of the year, a team that really should have gone to the Super Bowl last year if it wasn't for Jaquaski Tart dropping that that fly ball in center field that would yeah. have sealed a win in the NFC Championship game. This team very much can be a Super Bowl champion with Jimmy G, who, by the way, has won four of his six playoff games. Now, he hasn't been great in a couple of the games that really counted the Super Bowl in last year's NFC Championship. I get it. I get their willingness and want to and trying to upgrade you know, to a more dynamic dual-threat quarterback. I get it. But... Looking to the way that team is currently constructed with so many weapons, never did you think you would say in this day and age of NFL football that a game manager could win a Super Bowl like Trent Dilfer did once upon a time, like Brad what was a Brad Johnson Brad Johnson did with the Bucks when you just have an elite defense. Well, if yeah. the Niners continue to have that defense and all those weapons on offense, and they still have Trent Williams anchoring that offensive line, hello. I can't wait for our underground in mid-January where we're debating whether the 49ers are going to franchise Jimmy G. <laughs> Unbelievable. And look, not not to take away, I, I'm sitting here thinking about it. I know you don't believe in jinxes, but knock on wood, I, I believe the only offensive starter who has not missed a game has been right tackle Kelvin Beecham. Correct. That's insane. Wow. That, that obviously does not make life easy wow. for this team and for the coaching staff. And so I don't want to me going on, all of us going on this rant now about injuries and saying enough is enough. I don't want to take away that. Well, that was just you. 
that was just me. I don't want to take away that, you know, life is just as easy when you're in that situation as opposed to having all of your starters. My point being that teams have to find a way to get it done. And when you have enough skilled players that are at the top of their position group, when you have a Kyler Murray, who is one of the one of the better quarterbacks in the league, and DeAndre Hopkins and Hollywood Brown and I know that James Conner is, it might not be, you know, he's not, not might be, he's not a Derrick Henry, he's not a Christian McCaffrey, but he is still a bulldozing running back. You you just, you have enough talented players and they're just still not finding a way to get it done. I, I agree with that. And ultimately, I Knock think. Knock on wood for Calvin Beachum. Part, I, is this wood? We're going to, for this sake. Okay, sorry. Um, I do think, I, I think part of the problem and part of the, the way people look at it too is, the guys that have been out there mostly, I know Kyler missed a couple games, but I mean, Hop missing six games for whatever he says ultimately is something of his own doing. That's frustrating. To have Kyler not play at a higher level is frustrating, even if with all the injuries. I, and I think that's part of it. So let's see here. Two home games left. New England coming up. That is next. Week 14, Monday night. Then Tampa at home Christmas night. So many national televised games to go. And then you have road trips to Denver. No snow, please. Atlanta. Yeah, there'll be snow, baby. And, and well, wait a minute. Remember when the when the Cardinals against the Broncos for Peyton Manning back in the day and all those that stats. That was October. Remember all those? No, but all those stats they busted out in recruiting Peyton Manning. Oh, geez, it never snows in Denver on game day. It's only snowed on like six point three percent of the game it's days. It's going to snow because you're there, Paul. Yeah, right. And that's the way this season has gone. So uh, Atlanta Fair. and then the 49ers is the season finale. Where, by the way, the Cardinals own Levi's. I have this marked down as another home game. But let me put this in the home game slot because the Cardinals won six of eight all time at Levi's. So as uh, Darren Grimace is over there, should I knock on wood byproduct over here, my coffee mug? Is sure. That I'll do that. Okay. Wood byproduct. So uh, I'll do that over here. That's good. All right. Anything yeah. else? Uh, nobody's going to mention the two words Sean Payton. We're not getting into that or no. anything. I don't know. Can I just throw out there real quick? I sure. did a quick research on this. There's going to be compensation for anybody who hires Sean Payton. Yes. How much? A lot. And because Bill Belichick back in the day, when he went from the Jets to New England, it was a round one. When Parcells went from New England to the Jets, it was a first, second, third, and fourth. And then the mother of all coaching trades, Al Davis for John Gruden in his prime to Tampa, got two first-rounders, two second-rounders, and $8 million in cash. So there's Al Davis. Uh, but, I mean – are you saying that Sean Payton, wherever he goes, the team that hires him as their next head coach is giving up a round one pick? I don't know if you're going to have much of a choice. And again, as long as we're on this subject. That's a non-starter for me, by the way. Thanks for asking. Absolutely no way, because that's the one competitive advantage you have in your own division. Yeah. Rams don't have a first-round pick. Niners don't have a first-round pick. I tend to feel the same way, plus the money it would cost to pay him and Look, I, I, we, we have a lot of questions. People are still asking the questions. I'm just going to leave it with the same thing I said in the mailbag. Five games left. I think it's the entire season is going to be what is evaluated, and we're not through the entire season, so let's see what happens first. Same for you, Paul, so keep up the good work. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I like that. That's good, Danny. So you just said same. That was your answer. Same? Or same for me. Same for same you. Same for you. Oh. We're, we're waiting to okay. evaluate the entire season, so uh, yes. don't don't take your foot off the gas now. Oh, well, he can take okay. it this week. It's the bye week. So. Yeah, oh, sure. True. You can relax and rejuvenate. Yeah. I wish I could. Stinking Wolf roped me into his own show, so uh, you know I'm just going to take I'm going to take all my animosity out on Wolf the rest of this no, week. Are you guys just going to relax all week? I know Darren's not going to relax yeah. all weekend. By the way, I feel bad for Dave Pash. Everybody, a moment of silence for Dave Pash, who actually got fat shamed by Ron Wolfley. <laughs> what? You know you, what? You know you've hit rock bottom. <laughs> what? When Wolf looks at you on the pregame show on the air and makes a comment about your gut, and so uh, you know that was tough. It was tough for Dave. Once upon a time, Dave was Dave Fruit Plate. Pash. Now he's into this intermittent starvation or intermittent fasting, whatever they call it. Did he it. say that's what all the kids are doing? I don't know. Yeah, and because and, there was the Pash at lunch in the press box, and he had more on his plate than Ron Wolfley. And that was a first. And it was kind of jarring. And I said, Dave, do we need to talk? You know, Dave, are you okay here? What's going on? You have more on your plate than Wolf. What's going on here? And he said, this is the only time I'm going to eat all day and maybe the only time I eat for like 36 hours because he's doing this intermittent fasting. Which doesn't sound healthy to me. No. Among other things, I'm not a nutritionist. <laughs> uh oh, we've lost. I don't, it. I don't know where that. She's comes a little from. loopy, and I, I think you just from. hit her wrong. You know, it's all right, Danny. You know, when when you you know 
I don't. I don't know how but it you goes. Did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last no. night. I don't know how it goes in the girls' room where you where you're seated, but you know, uh, with guys, with guys, it's perfectly permissible to just talk about you know abject weight gain. So that's all. <laughs> it was just the delivery of you saying, among other things, I'm not a nutritionist, yeah. and I don't know so, why. Yeah, it just. I mean, isn't that the whole thing? You got to get Paul, up in the you morning. Work, you work in the girls' room upstairs. <laughs> I know. You myself I are a female videographer and our female Can we photographer. That because we don't want people think of. I don't work in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> by wow. the way we all need a break by the right way no now. this is a bonus this is a bonus piece of content for craig Grealu at this point mexico city the hotel there's a restaurant and i walk down there to use the restroom and there's an m and there's an h <laughs> and i had the door open partially opened into m oh dear thinking men. h for ombres yeah ombres thank you it took me a moment, though. It took me a moment where I, whoa, wait a minute, hang on, hello. Harris is women. Guess what? About a half hour later, Wolf went down there, and he goes, there's three guys in the M restroom. <laughs> so there were a bunch of Americans making that mistake in the team we're hotel. So, we're such an ugly country. There were guys in the ladies' restroom because they saw M, and they probably had a few drinks at that point in the night, and boom, they ran right in there, and... <laughs> That's why you need pictures. Gotta have pictures. uh, Note to self, uh, you know, be a little more aware. Have some more awareness when you're going international. My goodness. Donde esta el baño? Yeah. Hashtag no comprendo. And that'll do it for this edition (laughs) of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.